So we're away then in the Olympic final in the women's double skulls in lane two. It is Kath Granger and Vicky Thornley. Both of them so experienced at Olympic and world level know how to pull it back together and they find themselves leading. It's GB, Poland and then Lithuania and Greece way back. GB now, they have responded. They've taken back half a length. What can the Polish crew do? And they are showing that form now, trying to lift, sneaking back up on the Great Britain crew. Going to come down to 2.50 when we see those red boys. Lithuania, they're trying to lift, but I think they're out of touch with these two leading crews. Great Britain holding that margin. Poland have come and I think are slipping back again. It's GB against Poland for the gold medal here in the women's doubles girls at the Rio Olympic Rowing Regatta. Oh, here come Poland. This is going to be so, so tight towards the line, GB. Clearwater back to Lithuania. Poland comes to the line and they are going to be the Olympic champions. Poland from GB. Thornley, the Leander Club Sculler from Great Britain, won a semi-final. That's what earned her this lane on this near side. Vicky Thornley in the semi-final. She was not that quick out. This is a different tactic from the British Sculler. Perhaps she sees this as her race and her moment. I think Thornley might come back in the last quarter, Greg. Now Vicky Thornley, she's got herself into the silver medal position. She has taken Lobnig over that far side of the course. What a race this is going to be. Like you said, we saw a sprint from Vicky Thornley the other day. She's at 33 strokes a minute and now. She's fought it up from that lower rate through the middle section of the race. And Paul Reedy, the Aussie coach of uh, Victoria Thornley, will have talked through exactly this scenario. He said, this is where you take your men and she will lead you. But in that last 250, Thornley's been working on a sprint all season. Gamelan will be out in front and trying to hold that position. Going on. And Gamelan still looks comfortable. She still looks relaxed. Thornley has now just got that overlap. We've still got the Red Boys to go. Probably 30 strokes in a single skull. But Thornley is coming. It looks like Lobnik's really struggling over there. She looks like she's blown. She's at 37 strokes a minute. But Vicky Thornley, 38 strokes a minute. We saw this sprint the other day. She's got the manager of the Austrian. Can she come back on the Swiss Skuller? Well, I think there's still 15 strokes to go. As you say, Martin, Sunita Pasperi is going to be pressing for the bronze medal. But it is Gamelin who looks like she's got control of this at the head of the field. Victoria Thornley from Britain in silver. Gold for Switzerland. Silver for Britain. Bronze for the Austrian. Welcome to The Row Show. We're your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jake Green. And in this podcast, we're going to go into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a little bit about rowing. In South Africa, it brings people together, it breaks yeah, down barriers. Yeah, right. My passion winning to be the best. Being the best is something we strive for. It's a role Passion. Great passion. Gold. Ultimate gold. Glory. Relentless training. Pain. Pain. <laughs> Hello ladies and gents and welcome to another awesome episode of The Row Show. Uh, I'm Lawrence Britton. And I'm Jake Green. And today we have another banging episode. We have a really cool guest for you guys today and uh, it's actually such a cool episode. We're going to break it up into two parts. So this is part one and Jake, why don't you introduce our awesome guest. So today we are speaking to Victoria Thornley from uh, the UK and uh, we're really excited about this. Victoria has been rowing for a number of years. She's been to two Olympic Games, picking up a big silver medal at Rio. But in part one, we're really going to get into her beginnings in the sport, being uh, identified on a talent ID program, going straight into the eight under 23 champion, and then going into the Olympic Games only after about five years of rowing. So really interesting beginnings in the sport yeah i mean the the talent id stuff is is really interesting because it's the same uh, program that like helen glover had come through you know obviously uh gb put it up when they were going to host the olympics and they wanted to look for for athletes so we obviously don't know the numbers of people that went through the system and we're not talking about we're not talking to all the people that didn't make it we're talking yeah. to only the few that made it but it seems like it's uh worked quite well because vicky went from uh, not knowing what rowing is to to learning about rowing and and winning under 23s in in two years so um it really was a fast track to success and yeah i think uh this part one of her her chat is so cool and um yeah i think we're really given away quite a lot 
Yeah. So let's not give away too much. But yeah, she had a really, really cool journey. And, you know, as we know, she's a single scholar now. And she had some really challenging stuff to to get into the singles. So um, yeah, stay tuned to to hear about what she says about that. Um, and just before we go, some housekeeping, Jake. Yeah. So guys, of course, uh, please share the show. Um, go rate us on whatever app you use. It does a huge, makes a huge difference with the algorithms on how they operate. Tell everyone about it. Share it on your social platforms. And of course, you can go and support us on PayPal as well. We You can find the link through our, um, our bio on Instagram and through SoundCloud and just help us keep growing the show. You guys are our, our biggest supporters and your um, your support goes a long way. Yeah, just remember, tell one person a week about the Row Show. Get those those listeners uh, tuning in and, and hearing all the wisdom that uh, comes from our awesome guests. And yeah, without further ado, let's get into the show. Enjoy. We are really excited to have Great Britain rower, Victoria Thornley. How are you doing, Victoria? Hey, guys. Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. How are you guys? We are really good and really strong. And, you know, we, we're really excited to talk about your, your career. Um, you've been rowing for a number of years and you have really interesting and, you know, successful results and I'm sure amazing stories to go with it. But, um, you know, to kick things off, we, we're interested to start off at your beginnings. And obviously, you, you have quite an interesting start in the sport. You know, most people start row, pick up rowing at school or university. But um, you obviously were um, identified through a talent program that we've spoken in the past on the row show in Great Britain. Um, and, and chat to us about, you know, going, going through that process and making a decision, quite a, a, quite a big decision at a young age to kind of pursue a, quite a new um, opportunity and chat to us about, you know, the, the, you know your mind at the time. Yeah, it feels like a long time ago now, um, but it was back in 2007. So um, I'd done my A-levels um, and then taken a gap year before I was going to go to university. So I was uh, like 19. Um, and in my gap year, I'd actually was pursuing, trying to do um, some modeling. Um, so very different to rowing. Um, but then I had my place at university and I was um, planning on going. Um, but there was a like an advert in the paper and on the radio and everything. And a few people had mentioned it to me. My mum and dad had seen it and um, it was called Sporting Giants. Um, it was kind of headed up by um, Steve Redgrave and they were looking for people of a certain height um, for certain sports for, you know, basically trying to fast track people from effectively kind of a novice um, in the sport to the London Olympics. Um so I saw the advert and I think one of the um, one of the sports was volleyball and rowing was the other one and handball. And I automatically thought I'll, I'll probably be, if, you know, if I get picked for something, it would be to test out for volleyball. And I could, you know, seemed a bit um, seemed quite interesting, like and quite uh, attractive to be, you know, on a sunny beach somewhere playing volleyball, um, getting a good tan. Um, but actually once I applied for it, um, they asked me to be tested for rowing. Um, and I literally had no idea about the sport at all. I, you know, I'd heard of, um, Sister Redgrave, but that was pretty much as far as it went. Um, I didn't know you had to be tall to row or, you know, that it helps to be tall to row. Um, none of this. So I started like researching about rowing a little bit and kind of, um, getting a bit of an idea about what the sport was about and what was going to be asked of me. Um, and yeah, they obviously we went to the first round of testing. And before that, I'd like um, gone and had a personal trainer who was more like very specific in sports as well um, to do some training with me um, just to give me a bit of a, um, a boost in terms of my fitness. So I used to go to the gym, um, but very much just for aesthetic reasons, because I was trying to get into modeling. So I wanted to obviously be really slim and not look muscly and all that kind of thing. So totally opposite um reasons to go to the gym than I go now um so it was a very different mindset obviously um from what I used to be doing and pursuing to, to this kind of new avenue so when you're reading up on rowing you don't see anything that was like oh this is like a super shit sport to get involved in it's so hard and <laughs> it's going to consume your whole life and do not do this there, there's nothing nothing like that out there 
No, uh, I didn't pick up on that straight away, but there was definitely some, um, like when we had, through the testing um, periods, we had some like athletes who'd come through World Class Start um, to come and talk to us. And they did tell us some of, you know, um, about how hard it was and the cold mornings and the long hours and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I kind of, when I heard that kind of stuff, I was like, oh, this sounds awesome. It's like a challenge. And um, it sounds like, it sounds hard, but I've, you know, Matt, I obviously I've never, I used to, before um, rowing, my big passion was horse riding and I was uh, I did show jumping for many years. Um, so I've always been super competitive um and kind of whenever i do something it's just like i'm going to do it all out you know all or nothing kind of attitude to to whatever i do whether that was horses whether that's rowing whether that was modeling um i'd throw my whole self into it um so i was just like this is this is like looks like totally different to what i've been doing but a really good like a really cool challenge uh and what an amazing like opportunity if i got selected kind of thing um so yeah but obviously until you actually get into it you don't you can't as much as people tell you what it's like you have to live it for yourself to realize actually how tough it is and how cold the mornings are definitely especially in britain <laughs> but yeah i mean yeah. I, I just think because it does take a i mean throwing is quite a difficult um like sport and it's got the early mornings and like racing is not necessarily the most pleasant um experience so i think it takes a, a definitely a specific kind of person but I think it's just amazing that the the talent ID program has like seems to at least from our point of view has worked so well because on one hand you I mean we just spoke to to Helen Glover a few months ago and she came through the the same program and yeah it seems to have really found some amazing athletes and managed to to turn those uh, like the good finds into good results later on which is I think quite a difficult uh, thing to to get right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there's been criticism of these kind of programs in the past, but I think, um, you know, I would never have found rowing if it wasn't for this um, talent ID search. It just, it never been, I'd never been exposed to it. Um, so it would never, yeah, I would never have started. So um, it's amazing in that way, like it introduces people to sports that they never maybe had access to or were aware that they even existed or they might be good at them. Um, but obviously, yeah, it's a very different way to get into it, but I'm obviously so grateful that it came along because, yeah, and that particular one, Sporting Giants, was very successful. Um, as you say, Helen was from from it, um, as was Karen Bennett, who was in the Women's Eight in um, Rio. So three of us have come from that program um, and become Olympic medalists. So it definitely is, um, you know, it definitely has produced some good results for Britain and the World Class Start program on a whole. They're not all come from talent ID searches, but a lot of the athletes from World Class Start um, in Britain have then gone on to being in the team and um, Olympians, Olympic medalists. So it's, yeah, it, is, it has been really successful. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just so awesome. And I mean, so you, you did that in, was that in 2007? And then, yeah, that's and then by 2009, you were racing under 23s, and I mean, you really came onto onto the scene with uh, some purpose because you were you were in the the under 23 women's eight, and in your first international regatta, you come away with the with the gold medal. So that must have been uh, quite a cool start, and you know, um, confirming that the that the choices that you made were were the right kind of choices. Yeah, absolutely. Like it was kind of a dream start to to it all, and. Um, I put that down a lot to the coach that I had when I first started, um, Paul Stannard. He now coaches the men's sculling team um, over here, but he was an amazing development coach and he um, had his, our feet firmly on the ground from day one. And I think we turned up late on the first day training just because we couldn't, we were training in um, University of Bath and it was a massive sports complex and we just couldn't find where we were meant to be because we'd never been there before. And we got there and he was like, 10 press-ups, you're late. And I was like, oh my God, like it was very much like a, you know, a start, start to the whole thing. But it was, um, he was brilliant and he, you know, was tough, but also um, showed, showed me the path that, because uh, I couldn't really get my head around going from complete novice to trying to be, you know, going to the Olympics in under five years. And, it was very much his guidance and those couple of first couple of years where he, he was my coach was a really important part of like my journey and how it started so well, I, I guess. And obviously luck in terms of being um, 
having my last year's under 23, um, you know, because I started rowing when I was just turned 21. Um, so I had one year under 23s um, and it all kind of worked out well. And that year was the first time we had a, a successful women's eight, really. Um, we have had since, but um, 23 and it, a lot of the girls in that boat had already been to under 23s they, and had won medals. So they were all really experienced. So I was basically during the headlights, you know, I didn't ha- have any idea about international racing. We raced at Essen Regatta beforehand that year, but that was the only international racing I'd done before we went to under 23. So I was in, you know, in the four seat and just thought, right, okay, just put my blade in and pull and um, try and keep up kind of thing. And like, I was, it was amazing to be, um, you know, I'd obviously earned my seat in the boat, but it was great to be with girls who were really experienced at that level. And um, I just learned so much from them. Um, and, you know, a lot of those girls from that boat, I'm still like really, really good friends with. So, you know, it's, it's always the case of rowing, isn't it? It attracts great people on the whole. And, um, you know, they're lifelong friends to me now as well. So that makes it even more special, I guess, the way it started, yeah. Well, it, it definitely does attract, you know, the, the best people and, and you form fantastic relationships along the way. Um, and then I'm just interested because, you know, rowing is it's, it's a very technically demanding sport. And for someone that started new and got put into quite a serious, you know, um, boat class and it, being put into quite a serious community of rowers straight away. Um, what was it like learning the technique of rowing on a faster track than most other people and learning the technique of rowing amongst peers that are, you know, like you've just said, experienced people that have raced internationally for GB and have been rowing for, um, assuming a couple years of their lives already. Yeah. So when I, First started, um, there was a group of us who were all pretty much novices starting together within this um, that come from the Sporting Giants. But then once I was on the under-23 team, I was then surrounded by um, more experienced and technically a lot of better athletes. And I kind of always, uh, I still have this mentality now, like just be a sponge and like absorb everything uh, and all the experiences and all the, you know, the expertise of the people around me to make sure because I was trying to do it in such a short amount of time it was like just learn everything you possibly can ask loads of questions um and it it, I guess because I hadn't I didn't really have any expectations of what it was going to be like I just applied the same kind of um mentality that I have in my life beforehand you know with when I was show jumping with my horses it was very much like you need to do the work and you need to sacrifice to make sure you're successful and all those things. And I just applied that to rowing and I was lucky that I just put all my energy into that. I, I, I didn't, I deferred my place at university. Um, and I just basically was like, I'm going to put everything into rowing. It's like now or never for rowing. Um, and I kind of just applied that mentality and, and yeah, I mean, I was very lucky because I was put into the world class start program and it's, and it's successful in terms of fast tracking you into the team um so I had all these great opportunities and kind of great support around me and great coaches and and that kind of thing so I just um I kind of utilized that as best I could but yeah I think uh you know you've, you've given all the opportunities but it still has to come from from the side you still have to want it you still have to go through all the all the hard work and uh and so it might make it a bit quicker but I don't think it it doesn't make it really easier um you know it still has you still have to have that that skill and then, so the next few years, you're rowing in the single, and I mean, you're rowing in the eight uh, for the next few years. And then in 2011, you you kind of do this one World Cup in the eight. Uh, so we were looking at the results, and we were really interested in why you raced that World Cup in the single, and then why, and then go back straight back into the eight, and, and how did that come about? Yeah, good question. I'm trying to think back to that, but um, yeah, um, 20. Um 2011, um, I think I just had, I'd been doing quite well in this. Um, so we often, even if you're um, sweep rowers um, back then, we would often race the first um, kind of winter trials in like uh, October and December time in singles, not in kind of pairs. Um, and I think I'd done quite well um, and was, so was selected into the, like the sculling squad for 2011. Um, so started um, in that, in that squad. Um, and I think it was, um, yeah, it's Catherine, um, Granger and obviously Anna 
um, Watkins were in the double that year and Anna was injured um, at the start of the racing season. And it was between uh, myself and Mel Wilson who was going to row with Catherine. So the first World Cup, it was uh, obviously just a sub in for Anna. And it was um, Mel ended up racing the first World Cup, which I think was Munich um, in the double with Catherine. And I was going to race the next one. Um, so I ended up racing the first World Cup in the single. Um, and yeah, I think it was just because I was kind of spare for the sculling, um, squad at the time. And it was going to give, you know, give me some experience racing the single. And it was, um, I kind of forgotten about that. Um, actually, cause I always think of my first time in the single, um, at an international in 2013, but I actually did race in 2011 and it was a great experience. You know, it's kind of like, um, I think I actually managed to win my rep and it was like, um, I remember my coach at the time being like, just like embrace the fact that you crossed the line first. It might've been a rep charge, but you crossed the line first at a world cup in, this, in a single. And, um, and yeah, looking back, it was a great, um, you know, baptism is, baptism was fire, if you like, into that, into that world of single sculling. And, um, I learned a lot from, from that regatta and, it was just a great experience to have done it. Um, but then I, yeah, I think obviously I wasn't of the standard in terms of moving into a crew boat for that year in the sculling team. So went back into, into the eight, which I'd raced the previous year in, um, in Carapira in 2010. And then 2011 was a really successful year for us in the eight and actually a really, um, enjoyable and kind of satisfying year. Yeah. So just on the, still staying on the, on the, the single seat, had you raced, I mean, had you learned to row in the single? Is that how come that you had some speed in the single? Or um, was that kind of like, when was your like first experience in the single? Yeah, so um, on the World Cup Start program, you're you're put into singles straight away. And, I, you know, I remember on the first, like, um, the second testing phase we did, um, we went out in singles. And, I mean, I literally pushed off the landing stage and fell in straight away. Because um, I remember seeing a single and thought, oh, so thin. Like, how do you even stay in that? Like, I couldn't get my head around it. And then once I started training in Bath uh, with Paul Stannard, we did most of, our, most of our training in single skulls. But at the beginning, we literally were just, like, we called it the nursery. We were just pushed off the landing stage and stayed in this, like, sheltered bit of the river. And we would just do all these different skills, um, kind of, like, stationary, if you like. And sometimes we'd be allowed to, like, paddle up the river. But, you know, I first started rowing in, like, it was the beginning of November. Um, and then for the first winter was when I was falling in constantly. Um, so, yeah, we you start just in, in the singles. So that's kind of all I'd known at the beginning, really. Um, and then, obviously, racing the under-23s but yeah I, I spent a lot of time in the single from day one um so yeah I think I just I obviously knew that boat quite well and um because I spent quite a lot of time in it so had some decent speed early on in my career it's uh it's very interesting um and then, you know following you had a really successful season in 2010 and then following on it seems like I mean in 2011 following on there seems to, to have been another mix-up and I assume that you probably it seems that you got drafted back into the sculling team and you actually in the beginning stage of 2012 of the Olympic year you got put into the women's quad um, before you transferred back into the eight and talk to us a bit about the decision and also because you actually did perform quite well in the quad so why did you shift from you know the quad boat back into the the eight yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, so, yeah, we'd been really successful in 2011. And that eight, we got a bronze medal at the World Championships and obviously qualified the eight for, for the Olympics. And um, we just had a really good group of girls and we'd really worked really well as a tight-knit group. And it was a really, you know, like I said earlier, it was a really satisfying year. Um, and now with experience, I would have, like, definitely been like, I want to stay with a sweet group and you know, we need to just keep pushing with this group of girls because we've been, we were really successful last year and we're kind of on, on the rise and let's keep going with this. Um, but at the time I was, again, I'd done quite well in the earlier rounds, um, in the winter in the singles. So I was drafted back into the sculling team. And back then you kind of always thought that it was a good thing if you were asked to scull, but it, you know, it wasn't that now there's a bit more of a clear line. You're either a sweeper or a sculler, but some people would like drift from one or the other between the two, sorry, um, back, back then. Um, so yeah, in hindsight and with experience, I would have said, I want to stick with the sweep. Um, but I was asked to do the final trials in the April in the, 
in the single um and then was selected into the into the quad and one of the girls who was more of a scholar was in the eight and both boats went to the first world cup or the first race that we did and i think yeah i think we might have got a bronze in the quad um and i'm not sure how the eight did but they weren't happy with our speed um in either boat so they decided to it was debbie flood um who'd gone into the eight they decided to switch switch me and debbie back so debbie went back into the quad uh and i went back into the eight um and it was oh, oh i think maybe we did two world cups actually in that way around then we switched quite late uh, and then we went off on training camp and i had been sculling all year and went back to sweep which obviously sometimes have implications in terms of your bodies gets a bit stiff and everything like that but go, trying to go back to rotating and it just looking back now, I just wish we'd, you know, plowed ahead with the eights group and and pushed that on because it was just disruption that we it, it, it just, you know, didn't have that we didn't have that kind of progression and that build into the Olympics that we we needed. Um and so therefore our result, you know, showed that in the end that we, we hadn't had that consistency, not just due to me coming in and out, but also we'd had a lot of injury and illness and we just didn't have that clear path and that kind of real tight tight-knit kind of you know everyone's got to be on the same page haven't they in a boat and it's hard to do that in an eight so you really need that uh, really good communication and um kind of consistency to, to build that so um, and we didn't have that that year so it was kind of yeah very up and down in and out of different boats and um not the ideal preparation for an olympics but i was still pretty inexperienced so kind of was just like i guess doing as i doing as i was told a little bit because i didn't know any better in a way because that was my first Olympics, I was still quite new to the sport in a lot of ways. So I kind of just went with what I was told. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but looking back, definitely not the best preparation for an Olympics. Shame, man. That's, that's, yeah, that's quite a season to, to have. We're going we're gonna to get to the London Games. I just want to touch on something you, you spoke about there as, like, the, the blurred lines between, like, sculling and, and sweep. And I think it is... Some you know, like I think a lot of countries have it very set in their in their minds that like you have to be either a scholar or a sweep. But I feel like if you have a good understanding of of rowing and you you're a good boat field, then you can. It's not that different to to swap between the two. And I think it's it's quite good for for most athletes to swap between some sculling and some sweep because it's you know it kind of gives you a different perspective of rowing and a different kind of maybe idea about the stroke and, and maybe some things that you're struggling in one discipline you can kind of execute a little bit better in uh, in the other discipline um, yeah tell us a, a little bit more I mean if you agree or, or, or disagree with that no I absolutely agree and I think um, everybody should have their time in a single skull um, because I think it just gives you um, obviously in a crew boat you're trying to work with other people but a single really gives you and and sculling gives you the opportunity to really just feel for the boat and just worry about yourself and the timing with the boat without the complications of trying to row in time with other people as well in a way and so um and i think if you are a competent scholar you can turn your hand to sweep quite well um and i just think it yeah in the single especially um is just helps with those with those skills um and also vice versa, you know, a quicker boat is, is help, helps when you go back into the single. And so I think it's just, um, yeah, understanding. I think it's amazing how the different boat classes feel and also uh, the different seats in the different boats as well. Um, they, you know, has so you just learn so much more about how the boat travels, how it, how it runs, kind of all those kind of things. And it just kind of opens your mind up to um different ways of applying your power and depending on the boat speed and so yeah i definitely think it's um it's not a bad thing to do um some time in the single um even if you're planning on sweeping uh, later in the year so that's what we like that's how it used to be in um the british team would everyone would pretty much do a, a, at least one trial in the single um in the early winter before they then went into pairs for the later trials um, if they were sweep athletes and I think it's good and also the single is great for fitness as well you know uh, you've got to just pull yourself along so um, it's good for building that early season fitness as well. You know I 100% agree and we also we also spend quite a lot of time in the early part of the season and, and like the big the big idea behind the single is obviously if you can make a boat move fast by yourself and have the discipline and the 
and and you know the dedication to go through that process and make it go fast then that obviously bodes well for when you move up in classes um so anyway in 2012 moving on you obviously it's a huge year for for every single rower in great britain it is the year of the london olympic games and for you this is you know a couple years in the sport and you are facing your first olympic games in home territory chat to us about your feelings and your, what was what was your mental state at the time going into that olympic games it must have been quite a quite a like a ceremony and a ceremony and um a huge event for for you going in yeah i mean it was um it was amazing the london games were you know out of this world in terms of how it was organized the atmosphere everything about it was you know just amazing um and but going into it in terms of so if you'd asked me you know beginning of my career and said you will go you will definitely go to the olympic games um and stroke the women's the british women's eight i would have you know bitten your hand off and be like that's enough like you know because but my obviously my um, goals and aspirations had changed massively over the last couple of years. And obviously we'd won a medal the year before um, and actually going into the Olympics in terms of purely the boat and our speed and rowing, I didn't feel massively confident um, because of the ups and downs we'd had that year because of the toing and froing between boats that I'd been involved with and um, injury and illness within the boat. We hadn't had that really, good progression through the season and it was kind of quite challenging because I didn't we hadn't had that consistency so I remember sitting on the start line thinking I'm not sure what the first few strokes are going to deliver because we hadn't had enough um we hadn't had enough consistency in training to to have that so in a way that that side of it was was hard because um that's not what you want to be feeling on the start of um an Olympic final um but I think there's the beauty of hindsight and looking back with um now and actually think i'm really kind of proud of getting to that state um yeah that stage uh, very early in my career but at the time you know it i it wasn't you know it wasn't at the place that i wanted to be and that, I, I, I think the boat as well had so much um talent within it but we didn't show what we could really do which is um, for me and for all the girls in that boat, I would just wanted more for us to be able to deliver what we could. And if that, you know, what we were capable of doing, and if that had still ended in fifth place, then that's that's better than not quite of being able to deliver your best. Um, so that was difficult to to deal with at the time. Um, but looking back now, like I feel very grateful to have been um, at the point in my career where I was able to race at the London Games because even though it wasn't the most, the greatest experience in terms of the racing and the performances we delivered, it was amazing to be um, on that lake, hearing the crowd roar, like, and it, you know, it was like nothing else I'd ever experienced and never experienced since. And that's special to have been a part of that, no matter what the result brought um, in a way. And so we have raced at home games, not, you know, very few people get that opportunity. So, um yeah, I, I, with hindsight and a more of a um, you know a reminiscent mind on, I it's it's nice to look back and remember those those times. But I still have that you know kind of um, gut wrenching like ah, oh, what could have been? Or just just I wish we'd been able to um, produce what we were capable of. Um, I'm not sure it would have been medal worthy, but I think it would have been we would have had a better showing than we gave. Yeah. Sure. No, that's. Yeah, it's it's really tough, and, and it's always uh, it's always not a nice feeling when you when you feel like you're gonna you could have uh, done better or put a better performance on. Um, but I mean, in as you say, in hindsight, it still is really impressive. And when you look at it on paper, it's must. It's, I mean, it looks a bit unreal to to think that you you start in 2007 with the goal of going to London, and then at what point did that like oh I'm supposed to go to London or what, at what point did that become a bit more real? Like, oh, actually, I, I really can do that. Yeah, I think um, I think once um, I'd solidified myself into the team, so I first started join, training with the team in uh, the beginning of 2010. Um, and then, you know, in 2011, once we'd won a medal, I probably was thinking, yeah, as long as I keep on the same trajectory, I should be, I should 
be able to maintain my seat in the in the eight. So probably around then that it became a bit more realistic. Um, but yeah, I remember when I started, it was just like I just can't compute how I can go from falling in every time I try and go rowing to sitting on Olympic start line in under five years time. Um, so yeah, I think once once I'd done a couple of senior international races, it became a bit more like yeah, okay, maybe this is this is on if I if I keep improving and keep on this trajectory. Yeah, and I mean it's 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 crazy, you know, the Olympic Games for for any athlete going experienced or inexperienced, it's still it's such a monumental event that just going to it has a certain amount of wow factor to it for for someone going. And post post Olympic campaign, you know, you came you came away for the fifth place in the women's eight. It was your first first Olympic Games, but on the end of that, that puts you. It really did solidify you as someone that's been in the team for a number of years, has got successful results, has raced in a few classes, and if you can cast your mind back to what you were thinking at the time. What was Victoria Thornley thinking going into the 2013 season in terms of what boat classes you wanted to make, and um, you know what was the what was the expectations on the on the on the competing at a world stage? Yeah, um, that's a good question because I definitely had like a lot of time to um, get my head around how I was gonna um, what I was gonna do differently to make sure that I was in a different position come. Um, Rio and you know obviously I wanted to s- step onto the medal rostrum and um, how is I going to change from a fifth place athlete to um, at least a medal winning athlete and so I looked at myself in like all the different ways you can you know physically where am I at psychologically where am I at you know um, technically all these different um, you know things that make up as, as an athlete and thought right where do where do I need to be in four years time and kind of looked at it like that um and going into the 2013 year uh I was looking to actually row in the pair um and I didn't I wasn't selecting the pair it was one of those you know didn't agree with the selection um situation but that obviously happens um but yeah I wasn't put in the pair and then it was like okay so um, was potentially looking to go into the double again there was some new athletes in the team that the coach wanted to see how they would do um, in those boats so I wasn't selected in the double either um, even though my performances kind of warranted the selection but um, it's just the way it, the way it went uh, and the coach at the time wanted to put me back in the women's eight and I said I don't want to do the eight um, the main reason being I remember finishing the um London games and just thinking I just really want to have more kind of control over my own destiny um and as much as I'd had an amazing time in the eight and I'd absolutely loved rowing with all those girls and they were such a big part of my quick development because they were also experienced they were great athletes in loads of different ways and I had loved that period but I felt like it was that that the kind of the project for the eight for me it was I wanted to try my try in a smaller boat and I definitely felt 2013 was a year I had to really learn a lot about myself and really figure out where my strengths and weaknesses were um and going back in an eight was not gonna give me that opportunity so I said to the coach okay if you're not gonna put me in the the pair or the double um I want to do the single um or if you you know if you won't let me do the single, I'm going to go back to my club because uh, at that point I was like, I need to do this. I need to have a year in the single to really improve myself as an individual athlete. So when I get back into a, into a crew boat, I'm, I'm better for it. And I just was really um, believe that that was the best way for me to improve. Um, and I had to do it, you know, early on in that Olympiad. Um, so not, it wasn't very willing to do it, but allowed me to go to the first world cup, which was actually at Dorney, in 2013 in the single and I ended up having a great regatta and coming away with the fourth place which I couldn't believe um it was probably one like at the time one of the, my best uh, performances I'd had and it and I absolutely loved racing the single um uh, really like got even more of a bug for it and um yeah it was a great result and in that win in a way I made it very difficult for our coach should then say, um, right, you're going back in the eight because I'd done way better than they'd expected. So then I went on to 
I think it must have been Lucerne. Um, I didn't do very well in Lucerne. Um, and again, he so he wanted to take me out of the single and put me back in to the eight, and I kind of just refused um, and just said, you know, just give me a give me a shot, give me you know, give me the chance to go to the worlds and see what I can do. Um, and again, reluctantly, did never really told me that I was selected, but basically said, yeah, you can go in the single, but you're spare, and if any other boat need any other sculling boat needs you, you're going to go in, you're going to race in that as well, which. Obviously, at the time, I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't want to do that. But I kind of just went with it and hoped for the all the athletes' sake that no one no one needed me anyway and that I could just get on with my project in the single. And uh, it turned out that, I, that that happened. And I ended up racing in um, the Worlds in 2013 in the single, which was just, yeah, it was a, a, a brilliant experience. I absolutely loved it. Um, I finished seventh in the end, winning the B final. And it was, yeah, it was a great year and it was just what I needed in terms of my individual development um, to put me in, in a better place for the next three, obviously leading into Rio. So it's, I mean, that's quite a, it's quite a difficult thing, I think, as, a, as an athlete to kind of stand up to the coach when, you know, you believe in one thing and they believe in another thing. And then at, like, at what point or, or where's the line do you think where, an athlete should say something that they believe in or should they go with the coach and 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 and, and trust the, the coach's decision? I guess I think it, de- it depends on... Um, the, so we, in Britain, it's kind of changed now, but we used to have like a chief coach for the women and a chief coach for the men and then that chief coach would have one boat that they would coach and then there would be other coaches that coach the other boats, if that makes sense. And so the chief coach is... Um, looking out for his crew and also wanting a successful team, but not necessarily looking out for you as an individual. And you're doing this, you know, for your, you know, you're, you're putting in all this, this graph to, to be successful for yourself and your teammates, if you're in a crew boat. And um, so they're not necessarily looking out. It depends who, you know, if, if it's my personal coach now, obviously he's absolutely looking out for my um, best interest and our best interest and the project's best interest. But back then the chief coach wasn't necessarily looking out for my best interest. So that's where I think it's appropriate to be like, no, this is, that's not the best thing for me. Um, So I think that's the time that was the right time for me to speak up. And also, you know, going back to 2011 and 2012, I'd been, you know, I'd played musical chairs around boats and seats and all that, and it hadn't worked in my favor. So it was kind of like, you know, I'd done, that back then and not really put up a up a fight but this was a time where i was like no this isn't this isn't right for me and this is the time to make a stand if you like yeah and then so if you say like uh that you were looking for to go into a small boat were you were you particularly looking to go into a single because i find like especially over the the interviews and over the episodes that we've done it's like it's quite a specific kind of person that wants to row in a single you know it's 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 probably the biggest difference between all the boat classes is the single because you're alone, there's, there's, you miss the team vibe, and you, but you have all the all the onus on yourself for, for all your results and, and all your performance. So, I mean, was that something that you always really enjoyed the single, or was it kind of just because you had the speed in the single that you wanted to go in the, in the single? Um. So back then, I, um, I was looking out first for the pair and then the double was kind of like the backup. It was obviously a smaller boat. Um, and that was the aim for 2013. And when that, that wasn't a possibility, that's when I pushed for the single, but I wasn't necessarily thinking I wanted to go to the, the Olympics in Rio in the single. Oh, okay. Um, I loved the single and I kind of dreamt that one day I would be quick enough to go to the Olympics in the single, but I didn't think that that was a time right then. Um, so I was looking to, you know, go in, hopefully race the double um or you know a crew sculling boat but i wasn't seeing the single as like the long-term plan back in 2013 um but it was a vehicle at the time to give myself the best opportunity and make myself the strongest athlete i could come you know rio and um the the years afterwards so um that that's kind of why it transpired that i came was in the single in 2013 um, and then obviously ended up racing it in 2014 in the uh, the World Championships. But that year I'd started in the double skull with Fran 
Horton, um, but Fran um, unfortunately got injured quite late on in the year, and that's why I ended up racing the single in 2014. But it was very much once the 2014 season started, I was looking to go in the double, and then me and Fran were the, the two top scholars, and so we ended up um, in the double for a period of time. But um, yeah, 2013 was mainly about um, just trying to improve myself uh, as an individual. Yeah, and you know it was. It seems like it was an ex- ex- extremely competitive environment, which of course produces really fast athletes. And you know, in 2015, you had your that was the the breakout year in the double. You you got into the double, but chat to us about the process getting in there. And obviously, a major factor in the women's double was the fact that uh, you would end up rowing with Catherine Granger, which um, is who is a phenomenal athlete. You know, ex- highly successful winning an Olympic gold medal in London. So chat to us about the process, the selection process, getting into the double, and what was it like, you know, a younger athlete at the time rowing with such a highly successful, um, experienced athlete in the double? Yeah, it was um, pretty daunting at the beginning, I guess. Um, I remember um, that obviously being, Catherine never had announced that she definitely retired. And um, when we came back from... Uh, from our break after the 2014 Worlds, we turned up at the, um, we, there was rumours that Catherine was back training and I turned up for the first day, we were all sat in the gym, starting to do stretching and she was just over there and I was like, hello, welcome back. And it was very, very much like, as always with Catherine, you know, um, very down to earth, understated. She just, you know, put herself back in the gym and she was ready to start up again. And it was just great to have her there on that day. You know, um, she'd been training a little bit beforehand uh, whilst we'd been on on holiday. And um, yeah, she turned up on our first day of training, and that was that was kind of the start of the of those that two year um, journey, which turned out to be a hell of a journey. Um, but yeah, so that that winter, obviously, we back um, doing a lot of time, a lot of stuff in the singles. Um, and a lot of trials, kind of, you know, doing some crew boat stuff out on camps um, in the winter. Um, and Catherine and I were put into the um, double together for some of those camps. And it went quite well at times. And it was just great to row with Catherine. I mean, I remember years and years ago when um, we used to, race, well, we do sometimes still race um, the eights head on the Thames through London. Um, and there was um, an eight put together of some of the senior athletes and Catherine was one of them and they needed some like a few people to fill the boat essentially and they they called up um, myself and a couple of other girls from um, from Bath who were training down there and I remember just being completely starstruck and think oh my god how like just keep up just don't mess it up don't catch a crab Um, it wasn't quite that daunting um, when we got together in 2015 but it was still like you know rowing in a boat with an absolute you know, legend of the sport and um, just wanting to make sure that I uh, always turned up with like my A game um, in training. And and then we had the usual selection processes. We have our final trials in, in the April um, and Catherine and I uh, were the top two scholars. Um, and so then we were selected into the double for that, for that season. Um, but it definitely wasn't a smooth transition into a, into the crew boat we um we probably had we have quite different styles in terms of the way we skull and so it took a long time to um you know make sure because it was like this boat should be quite you know quite fast we're both pretty fast scholars but it's you know it's like anything you can put two really fast single scholars but if you don't row together uh, and apply the power at the same time and all that and row slightly different lengths and um have different styles it doesn't necessarily make a quick double and that's that's the struggle we had um for quite a while and then did you go straight into the into the the, the bar seat of the double or did you spend some time in the stroke seat because i know you stroked the eight at uh, at the london games and you've been in the single and maybe that was also something that was was quite tricky to to get right with the seating in the in the double yeah, we switched around um, a bit, but I started and predominantly was in the stroke seat. And that's kind of the seat that I've always kind of been put put in um, throughout my rowing career. And looking back, I wish I'd um, asked to be put, even just in training, put in the bow seat more often um, because it's a very different seat, especially in a double. It's amazing how different the stroke and the bow seat feel and your jobs are completely different. Um, so 
in a way I can like can't believe that I ended up racing the Olympics in the in the balcony of a double. It's not somewhere I would naturally put myself. But um Catherine's such I mean she can row any seat, but she's such a strong stroke and just all of her attributes just make her, you know, just formidable in that seat. So it was kind of like Vicky, you need to figure out how to row the bow seat well because Catherine's going to be there because that's what she's she's great at. So um, so when I did get into the bow seat and I had to do the calls and and um, kind of felt like, especially when we're on a river and steering and all that, and I hadn't done much of it before, it felt like it was really um, it was really kind of quite challenging because I didn't want to you know I didn't want to mess it up. Um, but yeah, I started off in the stroke seat and. And we mixed around, we changed it around a little bit over the over the two years um, to figure out what which was the the better way the better way around. And obviously for the Olympics, we ended up with me at bow and Catherine at stroke. But um, yeah, it's definitely um, amazing how different how different the seats are. Um, but I started that that process in in the in the stroke seat and raced the worlds in 2015 in the stroke seat. And it's it's funny that you that you talk about the the calling because I'm, I actually was quite similar. I spent most of of my like earlier days in the stroke seat, and then moved into the bar seat of the pair for the the Rio Olympics. And then the calling was was really tricky, and not so much in racing because the racing you like you practice so much, and the calling is it's you know it's not. You're not, you're not having a big conversation, but I find that calling was quite tricky when like you're having like a long session and maybe things weren't going quite as well as you wanted them and just trying to learn what the boat needed and, and what were the right things to say to kind of turn the boat into into a different direction was, was something that was really tricky and, and like a kind of a sneaky skill that you wouldn't think is so important yet, like so crucial for, for someone to just sit in the back of the boat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, like you say, the difference between training and racing is, um, and also if you're if you're feeling particularly tired on a in a training session and you're having to and the boat's not particularly, you know, if it's going well, you can kind of do a few k without really saying much and just like just this is good, keep keep with it, keep consistent. Yeah. But if it's not quite going well, you feel like you have to try and you, it's your job to it's, it's not just your job, but you feel like it's your job to to sort it out or call the right things and make you know and yeah and really get an idea about what's actually not quite right and so yeah and having not done much of it it was kind of like I had to learn quick and then also in racing I remember you know I'd often you know race in uh, um in the stroke seat and think I just don't understand how anyone has the breath to say anything um but it's amazing once you get used to calling you find the breath to to, to make the calls but I remember yeah seeing it in the stroke seat you know breathing through your eyeballs and you're just like how can the person behind me be even having being able to say anything but it, it's just a skill that you you develop and um yeah it's it's important and then also in racing you know it's the tone of how you say stuff as well you know it will will communicate to your partner how how you're feeling or how you know where you, how you think the race is going as well so all those kind of things have to be taken into consideration um yeah, so, so going into to 2015, did you, like, your technique or your physical ability, were you a bit quicker than in your, like, 2013 and 14 years? Like, was your selection a little bit easier? Were you, like, having to fight less with the coaches? And, and, and did you get into that, uh, into the double a little smoother that year, the, like, for the 2015 and, and 16 years? Yeah, so um, 2013, I was third in the final trials in the single, and then... 2014 and 15 I won the final trials so that um that gives you quite a lot more um kind of not say but like it gives you a bit more credibility to be selected into um the top boat um on the sculling side so it was a bit more straightforward the selection um those two years um yeah absolutely so so Victoria going you know you get into the double and I mean for starters just doing the research on on your your events and your your progression the women's double skulls going into the 2016 olympic season was crazy competitive i couldn't believe how many different boats were winning medals suddenly not winning medals and you know the, you know any day there could have been a number of boats that could have won and you know for you guys leading into that olympic um, regatta you guys have been really competitive you know, it, you've been in the mix, you've been in the medals, you've been on the back end of the A-finals. Um, it must have been quite daunting, but also 
really exciting knowing that going into the Olympic Games, you have a shot at winning a medal. And that definitely was the goal for you guys to win the gold medal at the Games. Talk to us, uh, talk to us about your mindset going in there and maybe a little bit of thoughts on you know, how competitive that, that boat class was at the time. Yeah, so uh, 2015, we were very disappointed with our result at the World Championships. Um, but there was so many things that we could improve on, which was like, okay, that's quite exciting that we've got a lot of things to improve on. Um, the 2016 season brought lots of different challenges. Um, but in terms of going into, um, we did win medals that year. Um, we won, a, I think we won a bronze at Varese. But we, I honestly, that back in, until qu- really close to the games, we didn't have the speed. Like we didn't have the speed early in the winter based on like prognostics against the rest of the team um, of in the winter of 2016. And I had a lot of doubts that we were, we were going to be quick enough um, in Rio. So it was only really until really close to the Olympics where we really seemed to click. And like I was saying before, find that sweet spot between the two of us that, you know, we brought, we brought our strengths and brought them together. So we, they worked well together rather than kind of, pulling each other apart a bit. So I think it was, um, it did take a full two years to, to find that, to find that speed that we knew was there deep down and we'd had glimmers of it in training or a race. There would be part of a race. We like, that's, that's it. That's, that's how we want it to feel, but it would just be glimmers rather than consistent. Um, so it was only until really late before Rio that we, that I, I truly felt that we, um, we could do something special um, and, but what that would be, I wasn't sure. Um, and what that what result would be. Um, but definitely I remember the race in Varese, um, was amazing. Uh, it was like, probably, yeah, probably the tightest race I've ever been in, in terms of there was one, I think it was the Australians had got out really quickly on the far side. And then there was five of us of the boats, just basically all within a canvas for the majority of the race. Um, and we managed to, you know, um, grab a medal at the end and it was, it was great race. But like you say, there was lots of crews that were in and out of the medals, in and out of the final. And, um, so it it was, it was really competitive and it was a great event to be in, in a way, but you also would like to be, you know, a length in front. Um, it's obviously a little bit nicer when you're like that, but equally those, those close races, especially when you come out on the right side of them are, are brilliant. And they're the ones that you, you know, you definitely remember. Yeah, um, definitely. And I mean, flip when, when I was just watching your racing and, and looking at the results and kind of piecing together, the, the story going into Rio, you can definitely get that sense that there is a glimmer of something really special there, but you guys are just not tapping into it correctly. But when you guys got to Rio, oh my word, you guys found, you had finally found what you, you know, what you had been witnessing in your, in your training. You guys won fire that regatta. Um, and it was a tough regatta too. I mean, Lawrence and I were both there. The wind was crazy. There were rescheduling days, different racing. I mean, it was madness. So to be able to perform in, in that environment has been special. So, I mean, talk to us about the, that Olympic regatta, going into it, the, the way you dealt with the weather and dealt with the racing. Yeah, so we'd had quite an up and up and down year. Um, and so actually the last, like, the last training period into it, we just kind of like got rid of all this, the external pressures, the external stuff that had been going on and just really concentrated on us on us two moving the boat and that's when it like you say it really did click and we found that we found that sweet spot we found that speed that we knew was was there um which was a really was was really satisfying because we worked for it for quite a long time and then um coming into the games it was um i mean yeah the wind like you say was crazy and some of the days you know training would be cancelled because it would literally look like you know, the sea and cause it wasn't far from the sea. Um, and yeah, the, the conditions were, were pretty, um, horrendous. Um, and for our final, um, I remember it being pretty choppy at the start, a pretty big head and it was pretty slow race in the end, a pretty big headwind. Um, but I, I mean, I'd done like 
personally, I'd done quite a lot uh, like around my psychology and dealing with pressure leading into that games and that year because um, I often found it, you know, the pressure would often get, you know, would cloud my mind uh, on the start line and things like that. And I'd done a lot of work around that. So I'd, um, that had given me a lot of kind of like brought a lot of calm onto the start line in my head, which really helped, especially with those conditions that kind of often can make you, you know, can add to the stress. Um, so that had really helped and I'm glad that I'd, you know, really invested in that, um, in the year beforehand, because that, that had a massive impact, uh, for me individually and, and making sure I delivered my best on the day. Um, but yeah, we, I think the, the heat, um, showed, you know, people weren't expecting us to, to get a medal. Um, and you know, the, the heat showed that we were actually, oh, okay, they've, they found some speed in the last, uh, couple of months. Um, cause I think we finished, we raised the poles in the heat or the Lithuanians and we finished second. And then again, in the, in the semi, we, we finished, um, we finished second. And I kind of was, it was, it, I kind of was like underplaying it in my mind because you don't want to get ahead of yourself. It's just about like one race at a time. And especially the semifinal, it's like this, you know, it's a do or die race, isn't it? You need to get it right. If you're going to be in the fight for a medal anyway. So it was definitely one one step at a time. And I remember one of the days, like you say, there was a cancelled day because of the conditions. And the night before our final, they were saying that it's meant to be pretty windy today, tomorrow. And so they're not quite sure if it's going to go ahead. And I mean, for an athlete, like, you know, you're, you're really looking forward to racing your Olympic final, but you're also, you know, absolutely bricking it, you know? And so the night before is all, all, always the craziest emotions and, the you know the you know just like that you know this like that simmering of you know it's like a I don't know kind of a volcano about to erupt that's what it feels like that you're on this like constant simmer and you're just waiting to go and um all those different emotions coming in and they're saying you know it might not happen and so have that doubt that am I racing my Olympic final tomorrow or not and that's you know it all kind of came you know all it's it's part of you know being an athlete and managing making making sure you deliver when when you meant to, isn't it? And so that's kind of something you've got to kind of roll with and, and deal with in your mind. Um, but obviously we did, we did race the final on the day that we were meant to, meant to, and it was, it was tricky, the conditions, but obviously not as bad as some of the racing, um, that had gone ahead previously and, you know, in the regatta. Um, but yeah, I remember the night before just, just thinking, really believing that, I don't know, it was a really deep down feeling that we can produce something really special tomorrow. And I don't know what, what result that will deliver but I know it's I just feel like it's going to be a special I remember saying that to Catherine and, and I, the, the the morning of our Olympic final we had a really good paddle and then I remember prepping for the race um and just being full of emotion I honestly was like kind of shed a few tears before we we boasted just because of the the emotion and what we'd gone through um, leading up to it and everything that it meant and how much I wanted it for Catherine, how much I wanted it for myself. And, um, and all that was just, it was the, the, the emotion was, you know, kind of like unreal. Um, and it, I don't think it was a bad thing that I felt like that because it just, you know, it just showed how much I, how much it meant, meant to us and meant to me. And so, um, but then I got, you know, got head, you know, race head on and, and went out and we just, we just delivered the best, the best race we'd ever done really. And, um, so I remember being very much like, I think at halfway we're, we're leading this race. And at one point I was like, this is the Olympic final kind of like we're leading the Olympic final and automatically you're straight back into like the process. But it was very much like this is, it was a very, in a way kind of a surreal experience. Um, and obviously we led it to the last 200 meters or so. And, we couldn't hold on. The poles were a really, really great crew and they came through us at the end, but, uh, it was, you know, we went out and delivered the best possible, um, race we could on that day. And yeah, there was things that you would have wanted to be better, but actually, um, after everything and all the doubts I'd had about us potentially never being quick enough, we'd, and we'd put, you know, a lot of people just did not expect that. And so to be, to deliver a performance that was very unexpected of us as well was kind of, um, made it even sweeter. Sweet guys, that's a wrap for part one of our Vicky Thornley episode. I really hope that you guys, um, enjoyed it as much as, as we did. 
Uh, some really, really interesting insights there. And yeah, I mean, any big takeaways, Jake? Well, for me, it's just, you know, knowing that she operates in, in the single at the moment, it's just like really interesting to hear, you know, someone go from rowing in an eight and make her way. And obviously that process, you really understand it and, you know, getting, you know, fighting for a place in the double, uh, I think all was really interesting to hear because obviously now you know where she is and, um, you know, people's beginnings of the sports are always interesting and always different. And Victoria is definitely a, one of the more unique um, stories out there. So that was really fascinating to, li- uh, to listen and um, hear about. Yeah, and uh, keep uh, the ears open for, for next week when we launch part two. And then that'll cover the, the journey and the success in the, in the single and as well as the, the famous quickfire questions with uh, some awesome answers from Vicky. So... Cool, guys. Um, remember to share the show, support us any which way you guys can, and yeah, keep letting us know uh, who you want next on the show. Uh, give us your opinions and and talk to us about the show. We love hearing from you guys. Um, but that's it for us. Yeah, sweet, guys. And also stay tuned. We've got a regatta madness coming up. Oh, European yeah. European champs are, are around the corner, and we're excited to see some racing. So it is racing on. Big time. It's been a while, so it's going to be good to discuss that. It's been a severe drought of racing, <laughs> so I'm really excited to to get back into actual racing and to to chat about all these crews that we've, uh, we're getting so into in the, the end of 2019. So cool, guys. Keep an eye out for that. Cheers. We're out. Cheers, guys.